0: So today, I'm going to be talking to you about the rest of the story, the rest of the story. We're still talking about kingdom prosperity. I'm going to try to be as quick as possible because I know last week I went long, and I know there's a very fine line between long sermons and hostage uh, hostage situations, and so I don't want to uh, get that reputation. So we're going to go really, really fast. But before we do so, I do want to give you another aspect of camp, and that's on the financials side, right? Camp is quite the undertaking financially. Uh, which is why Becca said, those of you who sponsored a student, that was a huge blessing because it takes a, a, a good amount of budget to conduct a youth camp and to participate in a youth camp. And and so and Becca and David are very uh, meticulous, and they sit down with me, and we, we do a lot of planning. And so since I was hop singing for the week, right? I'm showing my age. Anyone remember Bonanza? Uh, I got to be hop-sing for the week. Uh, or the cook, they gave me a budget of $1,000. Now that was based on last year's camp, and last year we had about 11 kids go to camp, and, and so I really only wound up spending about $700, and the kids ate good, and, and the people ate good. We were feeding last year probably and, and all about 15 people. This year, and, and, and that's kind of what we base the numbers on, uh, well, God has multiplied us. He's multiplied our church. Our church is growing, praise God. So this year we had 18 kids go to camp plus six adults. So all of a sudden we went from feeding about 15 to 24 this year, right? On the same budget as last year. (laughs) So I was like, Lord, you're a miracle worker, right? You're going to make this work. Uh, And on top of that, it was an extra day of camp. It was a four-day camp last year. This year it was a five-day camp. That means three extra meals plus that many more mouths, right? Uh, On a budget of $1,000. So I said, Lord, you multiplied fishes and loaves. We need a miracle now. And, and I trusted him that we're talking about kingdom prosperity. Prosperity isn't always about what you have. It's about what you don't need. Because in him, you don't need anything. He supplies. So, $1,000 budget. I got to feed 24 people three meals a day. 15 times I got to feed these people. Which is 360 meals individually, right? That's a lot of food on $1,000. So now, Tanya, she's one of my board members. I got to confess, I'm, I, I have to be uh, responsible to the board for financials, right? I went over budget. I did go over budget About five dollars and fifty-six cents, right? So praise God, right? So, oh, God. <laughs> she's going to give a five dollars fifty-six cents <laughs> offer to make it up. So, so get This is why. This is why we. And, but but I want you to understand when you give, we are very very conscientious of his funds, right? And we just don't try to blow it on things. And this is how God blesses you when you put your faith in him and you just are obedient with him. And I put a lot of prayer into the meals. Lord, what would you have me cook for these kids? And where would you have me shop? And what are the deals you would have me get? So $1,005, 56 cents, got to feed 24 people individually 360 meals. And I'm talking these meals were all you could eat. So each plate wasn't just a plate. It was really multiple plates. Like kids came back for seconds, thirds, sometimes fourth, where I'm like, where are you putting this, man? You ain't, you ain't even as big as my finger. Where are you putting this, right? Uh, so it was basically all you could eat meals. 24 people, 360 meals, five days, $1,000, dollars 56 That comes to $2.86 or $2.80 per plate, per an all-you-can-eat plate. That's a miracle. Amen? That's prosperity. That is, that's what the Lord does. That's why the kingdom of God is that we beat inflation this week. How about that? Hallelujah. Everyone wants to yell about inflation. Everyone wants to yell about this administration, that administration, everything else. And the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not worried about administrations. Kingdom of God is not affected by the times. We'll talk about that on our wrap-up next week. Uh, But this week, this week, to make up the fact that I talked too long last week, (laughs) and hopefully you still receive what I had to say, and to make up for the fact that I'm really tired today, right? For me, I'm really tired. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to tell you about the rest of the story. But before I do, that $2.08 for $2.80 a plate, here you go. Well, that's not too bad for $2.80, right? That, that was the first lunch. Let me, I'm going to confess this. That was the most boring meal I served. I was like, I was like I'm going to start low here, and then I'm about to unleash on you guys. Look at this. Y'all remember Sloppy Joe's? Forget Sloppy Joe's, man. I serve Sloppy Dave's, right? That's a Sloppy Joe on Parmesan garlic Texas toast, open face sandwich with cheese melted on it. Man, it was like they, they acted like it was crack, man. I mean, they just tore into this stuff. All right, here we go. Hibachi, Dave Bocce fried rice, chicken fried rice. How many, how many people ate that for camp? None of y'all. That's how I'm saying. Look at that. Forget macaroni and cheese. I call that Pastor D's Mac Daddy and cheese. Three different cheeses, spiral pasta. It's got, uh, it's got uh, uh, cream in it. It's got. Uh, it's got beef sausage and bacon. How many of y'all got bacon at youth camp in your macaroni and cheese? None. That's what I'm saying. Glory to God. And smash burgers, Paul Jones. I did smash burgers for them. Now I'm going to confess. I had a basket of bread and one of the students put luggage on top of it and literally smashed all my bread. So it was smash burgers, but I'm telling you smash burgers, man, these kids ate, I made, that's the most smash burgers ever made in one sitting. 40 smash burgers, and they're gone. They're history. So thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for giving. When you give, we do our best to put it in the hands of the Lord, and he does multiply it. I promise you that. So, All right, so let's talk about the rest of the story, kingdom prosperity. By prosperity, this is what I mean, the ability to use God's power to meet the needs of mankind in every facet of life. We use the power of God. Our faith in God, being a good steward, and we met the needs of 24 people this week, and they ate prosperously. <laughs> they ate a lot on very little, right? So we got to serve a lot of, if you will, uh, uh, this may not be the best metaphor for church, but it, it lets you know how, how blessed we were at camp because of God's prosperity. We got to serve champagne on a beer budget, right? <laughs> so there you go. So, so if you're going to be prosperous in the kingdom, you're going to use the power of God, which is his word, his spirit, your trust in both, to meet the needs of every mankind. You'll have no needs within the kingdom of God because he promised he would meet every need. So it doesn't matter who you are. This is the wonderful thing about the kingdom. Uh, this is the simple concept we're going to talk about today. No matter who you are, where you come from, what your story is— how big of a mess-up you've been in life, it doesn't matter. If you'll just simply meet the, the requirements of his contract or his uh, covenant with us that we've been talking about, it works for you, right? It works for you. If, and that is, if you just have faith in him, you trust him, you submit to him, and then you do what he asks you to do. You just are obedient to his word. He takes care of the rest, Everything he takes care of. And it works. You don't have to be of this denomination, Christian, or that Christian denomination, or worship in this style, or pray in this manner. It doesn't matter what ethnicity or country. Or, it works for me. It works for Isaac. It works for Karen, who grew up in Mexico. It works for Toke's, who grew up in Nigeria. It doesn't matter. It works for, for Myrna, who grew up in the Philippines. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what shade of dirt he made you at. That's why racism is so ridiculous, isn't it? One, one dirt trying to say they're better than other dirt, because we're all made from dirt, right? So because my, my dirt's a different color than your dirt, my dirt's better than your How ridiculous is that? Isn't, isn't the father of lies absolutely stupid? And then mankind says, sure, that makes sense to me, right? So, so it doesn't matter. So I'm going to talk to you about two different people in the Bible, It would not have made sense, yet they got to see the prosperity of the kingdom in their life in a way that you don't really think about. And in order to do that, I need to connect some dots. I need to show some evidence. At times, maybe make somewhat assumptions, but the assumptions are based on pretty good evidence. And so we're going to talk about the rest of the story. There was a guy named Cornelius. Anyone recognize that name? Cornelius, he was a centurion, a Roman centurion. So, in other words, he was a high-ranking Roman officer. He was a military man. He was over; he would have been over a uh, hundred plus soldiers, right? And and he's part of the occupation of Israel. So, you wouldn't think he would be a very popular guy, because these Israelis were not happy about Rome occupying them at all. These Gentiles, to a Jew. An uncircumcised Gentile was literally a dog. They were, not part of, they were not part of God's chosen. They were outside. They wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't drink after them. They wouldn't associate with them. They definitely wouldn't invite them into their house, right? Well, let's, look, let's hop to Acts chapter 10. Now, anyone remember who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, the Greek physician, Luke. He was a doctor. He wrote the book of Acts. Okay. He chronicled the book of Acts. So here he is. He's chronicling this. At at Caesarea, Caesarea is a town uh, uh, slightly southwest in Israel. It's a beachfront town. Beautiful town. I've I've been there. It's gorgeous. Right there on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. I don't know how he got that gig, but man, he was eating good. That's all I'm saying. You got a bunch of Italian soldiers. You know they know how to make some pasta. Man, that's some good eating. He and all his family, look at this. He was, he was Roman. He was a Roman centurion occupying Israel. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. That's pretty remarkable. He gave generously to those in need, and prayed to God regularly. This is a Roman. This is a Gentile. This is a dog, right? Yet he's a God-fearing man, not just him, but his whole family, which meant he taught his family. And he's giving to people abundantly, which means he's blessed financially. And he prayed regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Some translations said has become a monument before God. You remember last week we were talking about finances? that you can actually, your finances and your offerings, can it, uh, when you tithe, your high priest Jesus takes it and worships the Lord with it and blesses you. Well, this is all kind of what, what we're talking about here, right? So your, your gifts, your offerings have, have uh, gotten God's attention. Uh, and it, verse five, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Now, the apostle Peter is just south of Caesarea and Joppa, which is another uh, matter of fact, it's the coastal town that Jonah left from when he fled from God. It was really choppy; it's hard to sail into that port and sail out. I've been I've been to Joppa as well. Really neat town. They got a big giant whale in the middle of the town, made of bronze, to commemorate Jonah and the whale. It's kind of neat, good photo op. <laughs> but uh, so he, they said, go down to Joppa. You'll meet Peter down there. Send people to go get Peter. Bring him back up. He was at. A guy's house called Simon the Tanner. And he he was up on the rooftop praying. There was a reason why he was up on the rooftop, because Simon was a tanner. And you use uh, cow dung to tan hide. So it was probably really stinky in there. So he's up top praying where it doesn't stink so bad. Peter, we're going to recap the story. Peter, in the meantime, is having a vision of his own, where God rolls out this big old blanket and says, I want you to eat some of these animals. Well, they were labeled unclean animals to the Jews. And Peter said, whoa, I can't eat these animals. I'm a Jew. I've not eaten these animals. These, I've not eaten anything unclean all my life. And God said, don't you call anything I made unclean. And then it rolled back up. About that time, there was a knock on the door. Well, these men, who, which, which was a, a, a few servants and a, and a soldier that was a believer— serving under Cornelius, shows up at the door. Peter goes down and says, hey, what you need? And this is what they'd say to him. Now notice what, how they talk of Cornelius. The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. So they say it as if Peter knows who this guy is, right? Hey, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. What? He's a Gentile dog, and yet the Jews actually say, hey, now this is a, this is a, guy, this is a good man. I've I got lots of respect for this guy. Really? What? That's some crazy stuff going on here. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you had to say. So this Gentile has the audacity to ask Simon, the apostle Peter, one of Jesus' right-hand men, I want you to come to my house. What makes you think a Jew should go to your house? You are a Gentile dog, and you're one of the occupants of my country. But no, he was a God-fearing man that was respected amongst the Jews. So Peter invited these people in for the night, said, all right, we're going to leave in the morning. So they leave in the morning, and so they get there. And when they get there, Cornelius tells them, Recounts the whole story to him. Yeah, I saw this angel, and this is what the angel said, this, 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 and said, I need it to get you because you have something you got to tell me. Right? So this is what Peter tells him. Now I want you to start, you got to read between the lines, be, be some detectives. Ask yourself, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. <laughs> right? You got to go through this. Then Peter began to speak. Look what he says. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. That statement is huge for the Jewish Peter to say. He says, man, God, I guess it doesn't matter who you are. If God wants to work with you, he's going to work with you. If you, what? Fear God God and do what is right. If you trust in him, have submission to him, awe and reverence for him, and you do what is right. Man, that's been the theme throughout this whole uh, kingdom uh, uh, prosperity that we've talked about. Trust God, do what he tells you to do, and it doesn't matter who you are, right? And then he goes on to say, he, he tells Cornelius, look how he's saying it. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. What? Peter's telling him. You, you, already, you know about this Jesus. How does Cornelius know about this Jesus? And how does Peter know that Cornelius knows? Right? So Peter, acts, he's acting like he's already deal, dealt with this guy before. He says, you know what, is, what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Now, what he's saying is, Cornelius, you already know, you know about this Jesus. What you want me to tell you something? You already know. You know what's going on. You're, you're already aware of what was going on up in Galilee. Now, Capernaum is kind of southwest. Galilee was up in the northern region. Right? He said, You already know what was going on with Jesus up in Galilee and how he was anointed of God. And Cornelius, you already know how he went around doing good. And you already know that he healed all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. You know this man. How does Peter know what Cornelius knows? And how does Cornelius in, Caperna- or in, in Caesarea know what was going on in Galilee. They didn't have the internet back then. They didn't have cable news. They didn't have newspapers. They really didn't have a dependable mail system, right? I was gone for a week, this last week, the youth camp. I didn't hop on my phone much except to check on my wife, respond to a few of y'all's texts. I couldn't tell you what was going on. I, I show back up, I'm like just flipping through the general headlines going, what took place in a week? Man, I had no clue. News didn't travel to me, so it, so so it would make sense that 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 uh, Cornelius shouldn't know a whole lot if he's hanging out in Caesarea, in the southwest region. It's not even near Jerusalem. It's not near Galilee. But he's saying you already know all this, dude. And then he goes on to tell him, and for the sake of time, I'll just I'll, I'll paraphrase. He goes on to tell him this. He says. He says. So yeah, this Jesus that you already know about, I guess you don't know this, they crucified him in Jerusalem and then they buried him and three days later, he came back to life. And we all know this, me and these guys with me, because we sat with him and ate with him and drank with him and talked with him after he was resurrected. And now he has ascended on high and God has given him authority over the living and the dead to judge the living and the dead. And while he was telling them this, It's as if Cornelius said, oh, that's the bit of information I didn't have. While he was telling them this, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his whole household and they began to speak in other tongues. And and Peter and his friends were like astonished because they were like, this is exactly what happened to us eight chapters ago in the second chapter of Acts on the day of Pentecost. They're having the same Holy Spirit experience that we had. And they're a bunch of Gentiles. It was mind blowing. God's actually doing, well, who is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit? Who baptizes you in the Holy Spirit? We said it at the top of the sermon. Jesus, he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So on the day of Pentecost, it was Jesus who baptized these 120 Jews in the the upper room. From on high, he said, it's now time, guys, I'm sending down the Holy Spirit. So who's baptizing Cornelius and all of his Gentile family and his servants and all soldiers that are hanging out in his house? Jesus, and they knew this. They're like, he's given them the same thing he gave us. So Peter said, what's stopping us from baptizing these folks? So all these people, that whole household got baptized that day. Pretty remarkable. How did Cornelius know? And what was so special about Cornelius that he would be the first person to prosper in the kingdom that was from a Gentile race? What was up with that? Why Cornelius? How would he have known? How did Peter know that he knew, that he knew, that he knew, that he knew? Maybe Luke would know, because Luke's the one chronicling all this. Did Luke write another book by chance? He did, the book of Luke. How about that, right? (laughs) The gospel according to Luke. Now you're going to know the rest of the story. I miss Paul Harvey. Luke chapter 7. Let's... Turn with me, if you will, or look up at the screen. Luke chapter (laughs) 7. This is is an account that took place in Capernaum, which is in Galilee. It's a a lakefront town. Matter of fact, Jesus used it as his hometown for a while. right? Jesus actually had a house there. Peter had a house there. That's where Jesus healed Peter's uh, mother-in-law. All that stuff, right? So here we go. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, uh, all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. So Jesus had been out preaching. He came back home to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued valued slave of a Roman officer, or other translations say a Roman centurion. Now this is up in Capernaum. The slave was sick and near death. When the officer or centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So this centurion had enough friendship with respected Jewish elders. These people would have been the town's leaders and the heads of the synagogue. Folks that don't just hang out with dogs. Yet this centurion happened to earn the respect of these high-standing Jewish officials. Sound familiar? Starting to sound like someone? Someone? So they earnestly beg. So they, the Jewish elders, they go to Jesus. They earnestly beg Jesus to help the man. And this is what they said about this Roman officer, this Roman centurion. If anyone deserves your help, he does. What? That's some crazy talk. You got a whole town full of Jews and you're like, look out of this whole town. If anyone deserves your help, that man deserves your help. Look, and look what he says. For he loves the Jewish people. And he even built a synagogue for us. One translation says he built the synagogue out of his own money. There's a beautiful synagogue called the White Synagogue that's over in the ancient town of Capernaum. I, I, I got to sit in there. Uh, now, what's standing there was, was built after all this. But there is a foundational floor that the original synagogue was uh, that's still there. And they believe that that's the floor that this Roman centurion actually actually had built with his own money so that would have been the location where jesus preached in the synagogue all that good stuff uh there in Capernaum. so he built a synagogue for us well that's that's a lavish giving is it not does this sound like anybody that we just talked about so jesus went with them but just before they arrived at the house the officer of the centurion sent some friends to say lord don't trouble yourself by coming to my home for i am not worthy of such an honor now, it's interesting because the, Jewish was like, the Jews were like, this guy's worthy. Man, this guy, if anyone deserves it, this guy deserves it. But as Jesus got closer, this guy says, I don't even deserve you coming. Up. I don't deserve this. So it's, it's a pretty humble spirit. But look what he says. This guy reveals, this particular Roman centurion reveals, he understands what submitting to authority is all about. He says, I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, or I submit to these, this authority, is what he's saying. And I have authority over my soldiers, they submit to me. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. So, in other words, he's saying, hey, look, all you have to do, I understand you're a man of authority in the spirit, and I submit to that authority. If you'll just speak your word, I trust it enough that it's going to heal my slave. Isn't that crazy? Like, this guy gets it. That's kingdom talk. I submit to you, and I trust your word. Woo! Like what Jesus said. It says, verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. This is the Messiah. This is God in flesh. And this, amaz- this impressed him enough that he was amazed. That's something, if you amaze Jesus, that's pretty amazing, (laughs) right? And then he says, I tell you, I have not seen faith like this in all Israel. This dude gets it. He's submitting to me, and he's trusting my word. That's what I'm trying to get all y'all to do, he said. And when the officer's friends returned to the house, they found the slave completely healed. The man got it. I want to submit to you today by the evidence I have presented, exhibit A, B, C, sub-evidence sub 3.57, whatever. I submit to the jury that Cornelius was stationed in Capernaum. Therefore, he would know, at one point, therefore, he would know all the news of what was happening with Jesus. And he knew firsthand the authority of God that was in Jesus' life to do the work of God and to heal those afflicted by the enemy. And at some point, he was relocated, as they do in the military. He was relocated. He got the gig with the Italian regime, where he could get some good food and some beachfront property. And so I submit that because of the faith and the willingness to Submit to Christ and trust his word and do what the word says. He had access, even though he wasn't supposed to, he had access to the kingdom. And he prospered from it. So that when Jesus decided, it's time to baptize the Gentiles in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start with the one Gentile that amazed me more than anyone else. Where's Cornelius? Oh, he's down on the beach. Peter, go preach to him. Finish telling them what happened to me so I can fill his whole house and get these Gentiles filled with the Holy Spirit. We always talk about the the, the day of Pentecost as the birthday of the church. In reality, for all of us Gentiles, Caesarea was really the birthday for us. That's when we got brought in to to the game plan. Because Cornelius, who wasn't supposed to, according to the Jews, God access by simply trusting God and doing what God told him to do. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Alright, one last one. This is going to be quicker. Far less scriptures. Old King Pharaoh. You remember he had a daughter. That was a bit redundant, right? King Pharaoh, because Pharaoh does kind of mean king. But, oh well. Sounds good. What did his daughter do? Anyone remember? Y'all went to Sunday school. Some of y'all, right? Pull Moses, yeah, found Moses. Pull Moses, right? So Pharaoh said, "Hey, Hebrews are getting too populous, and they're getting too uppity, and they're our slaves. So I tell you what, we're they're they're if they have a son, you throw him into the Nile, you bash him against a stone, you kill him. We need to eliminate the boys, right? So there was almost a slight genocide that was taking place. All of a sudden, Moses' parents have him. They they make a boat." They send him down the Nile. And so here's Pharaoh's daughter, which Pharaohs didn't live very long. If you go and look at all the archaeological finds of Pharaohs and stuff, when they died, sometimes they were teenagers or they were in their 20s. Life expectancy in Egypt was not that good. If you remember when Jacob came to town, when, when Joseph brought Jacob and all of his brothers in, they were like amazed. They had never seen someone that old. And they were like touching them and like, look at your skin and look at your hair. They had never seen anything. How old are you? Pharaoh asked them, how old are you? They had never seen old people. So, which means that they were probably reproducing pretty early on in life. Which means Pharaoh's daughter at the time that she found Moses, most likely was anywhere between the age of 12 and 15. Just hitting childbearing years, right? So she wasn't that old. So she finds this baby, right? We know the story. The sister goes, hey, I know someone who can nurse him. Okay, go nurse him and then bring him back at the right time. So Moses' mother, actual bio mother got to nurse him. And when he was weaned, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, to which this is what the Bible says. Pharaoh's daughter. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. So this young girl, probably a teenager, adopted this Hebrew boy, to be her own son. The princess, so Pharaoh's daughter is actually who named him. The princess named him Moses. That name means to draw out or to pull out. It says, named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. So think about it. This young teenage girl, maybe as young as 12, probably no older than 18, 19 had enough of a brave heart that she would defy her father's orders, her father's edict and have sympathy for the people of God, the children of God. She would choose to trust in their God more than she trusted in Pharaoh, her dad. You know, you know there had to been dialogue in the palace, right? Where'd that baby come from? She's in there hold the baby. When did you get pregnant? <laughs> you know? There had, she had to, who knows what kind of covert stuff she had to do to make this happen. Yet she adopts Moses, one of God's children, as her own. Whatever happened to Pharaoh's daughter? We all we know what happened to Moses, right? I mean, that's, that's a huge part of the Word of God. Anyone ever thought... What happened to Pharaoh's daughter? She kind of drops off the map, right? Bible doesn't talk about her anymore, right? Or does it? I'm glad you asked, because now you know the rest of the story. Good day. First Chronicles 14. Now, before or chapter four. Before you before you go on reading that, don't read that yet. Don't read it. Look at me. Look at me. you're going to ruin the surprise. All right. So, this chapter four of 1 Chronicles is a lot of begetting, and it's the lineage of the tribe of Judah. Now, we talked about Judah, the son Judah, uh, months ago, but but that would be the tribe, the lineage that the Messiah would come from, right? And so, chapter four of First Chronicles is a lot of begetting, a lot of babies being born. And that's you know, if you're doing the one-year Bible and you hit one of those chapters, you're like, oh, it's gonna be one of those mornings. And because we are Western Christians and we just don't understand how important these things were, these long lists. Because to the Jew, this allowed them to see where they came from. It was breadcrumbs. And if you made this list, this wasn't all the people born. If you made this list, it's a who's who within your family line. It's like the Hall of Fame for your family. So if you made the list, 95% of the time it was for something really good. Now, occasionally it's because you were a knucklehead and that, that was worthy of, you remember when this bozo was part of our family? Well, yeah, we got to stick them in there, right? But for the most part, it was, if you made this list, it was vital, it was important, right? So here we go. We're going we're gonna to read some of these baguettes and we're going to know the rest of their story. The sons of Ezra were Jether, Mered, Ephra, and Jalen. One of Mered's wives became the mother of Miriam. Now notice, Mered married some woman. We don't get her name, but we find out her offspring. One of Mered's wives became the mother of Miriam, Shemeah, and Ishpa, the father of Eshtemoa. Man, these names. He married a woman from Judah. So he's marrying in his bloodline, which is, was really kind of what they wanted. Again, we don't hear her name, but we hear her children's names. Who became the mother of Jared, the father of Gidor, Heber, the father of Soko, and Jacuthiel, what who names her kid Jacuthil? And Jacuthiel, the father of Zanoah. Mared also married Bithia. Wait a minute, we got a woman's name now. Married Bithia, a daughter of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, what? You can't just slip that in there like that, guys because we're not gonna see it. We glaze over these chapters. But there it is, Mered also married Bithia, a daughter of Pharaoh, and she bore him children. Notice, we get her name, but we don't get her children's name. Why? Because she was Egyptian, which meant her children wouldn't be considered Jews. But it was cool because the the daddy was a Jew. So fine, y'all get to kind of hang out with us. There was grace there. Now, I, I was like, no way. That was hidden there all these years. So I go research, because Pharaoh probably had plenty of daughters. According to most Mishrams and rabbis for centuries and centuries, they teach that Bithia is the adopted mother of Pharaoh. Which means she's probably only maybe 15 years older than Pharaoh. Oh, I'm sorry, not Pharaoh. Moses, thank you. Moses, man, you can't. Wore me out, man. You can't. Wore me out. The daughter, the daughter of Pharaoh the adopted mother of Moses, which means she's fairly young, which means if she's had time to be married to Mered and have children, plural, by him, which means she probably, most likely, all evidence points to she left the palace and moved to Goshen, which was the slave district. So she forsook the riches of Pharaoh to live amongst the children of God. Which means that when Pharaoh or when Moses comes back to town from Jethro's house to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, she's probably still living in Goshen, his adopted mama, with all of his half siblings. Which means when all the plagues were taking place in in Cairo in the land of the Pharaoh, she and her children are safe in Goshen. She's an Egyptian yet she's under the covering of the kingdom now, which means when the first Passover took place and the death angel would come and take all the firstborn males of every household, her firstborn son is safe in Goshen because they partook of the sacrificial lamb of that first Passover and had the blood painted all around the doorstep. So the death angel would pass over her, even though her boy would have been considered an Egyptian, he still encountered the prosperity of the kingdom because she had more faith in the God of Israel than she did in her daddy. And she was obedient to the leading of the Lord to to protect and raise the, the guy who would be basically the Messiah for them to get out of Egypt rather than obey her. In other words, she trusted God in her own way, and she obeyed him in her own way. And because of it, she got to enter into the prosperity of the kingdom, which means that later on that night after Passover, she packed her belongings up just like the Israelis did, and they left town. They booked it. It was the great exodus. And you know, when they were like borrowing money from all their neighbors, you remember that? They borrowed gold and stuff. Can you imagine the gold that woman got to borrow if she got to go back in to, to her daddy's palace and say, hey, dad, can I borrow this serving set? We got a special dinner tonight, you know, loaded up on the, on, on the wagon. Man, that, I guarantee you, that woman made out like a bandit that night, right? She left, which means she actually got to experience God's provision in the wilderness, manna and quail. Her clothes didn't wear out. Her shoes didn't wear out during that time period. Most likely, she would have been one of the ones to pass away in that first generation because they didn't get to enter into the promised land, did they? Because of lack of faith, remember that? But her children, her unnamed children, even though they're not named in the lineage, they still, because of her obedience and her submission and her faith and her doing the right thing, they still got to enter into the contract, the covenant promise of Canaan land and and get to live in the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even back then in the Old Testament, before Christ was even here, everything else, God still was working away, showing that if you just do the terms of your side of the covenant, the contract was submit and trust me and do what I tell you to do. Follow my word. You have access everything I'm going to provide. It doesn't make sense. She's Egyptian. She's Pharaoh's daughter. Her family was actually oppressing God's people. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. His guys were oppressing God's people. In the midst of all that drama, they still found the doorway into the kingdom of God. And if they can do it, how much more is we? Now, you may say, oh, I'm so imperfect. I struggle with this. I deal with that. It doesn't matter if you will just submit to him and trust him. Do what is right. You can experience the kingdom and all the provision and all the prosperity that he has for you. Say, well, I messed up last week. You don't understand. I fell off the wagon. Well, it's a new week. Just start trusting him again. Give it a go again today. He didn't lock the door. Amen. So now you know the rest of the story. Everyone stand up. How'd I do? What time is it? Did I hold it in my word? Oh, I don't. Okay. Next week, I'm going to say five words and we'll be done. Y'all all all right? Are we good? Amen. Let's all pray. And we're going to ask God just to bless us with one more song. Uh, uh, Real quick, we're going to, let let me get the announcements out of the way. We're going to, we're going to pray. Just two announcements really quick. Uh, Aaron, I don't know if you have access to him. If you don't, don't worry about it. Oh, well, you do. Look at that. July 8th, next Saturday, next Saturday at the Regent Pavilion, show up at 10 a.m. We'll have a list of all the new move-ins, and uh, we're going to drop uh, <laughs> gift bags, welcome bags uh, on the front porch like we uh, we do every quarter. And uh, the more people we got, the quicker it's going to go. You can grab you five or 10 addresses. Usually we have about 70, 70 homes that we have to go get. And uh, it's going to be a time just to show some good love to the rest of the neighborhood. And then uh, also July 16th, the following Sunday, brunch with the butlers. It's going to be smash burgers. If you like those smash burgers in the picture, that's what we're going to be doing. Smash burgers, hot dogs, it's summertime. you got to do all that type of stuff. July 16th at 1230. Go to uh, gatheringviridian.org slash brunch. Sign up. We need to know how many's coming. There's, there is limited space, uh, so hurry up and sign up. Uh, before we have to close that out. And don't forget, next Sunday, Baptism Sunday, we'll have all the information that we'll shoot you out, emails and stuff this week, give you all the information on where to go for that. Let's all pray together and we're going to worship one more time as a family. Father, we love you. Thank you, Father, for the rest of the story. Thank you for connecting the dots. Thank you, Lord, that it doesn't matter who we are or where we've been or what we've done. If we just submit ourselves to you, Trust you and be obedient. And Lord, you're going to open everything up to us. Your kingdom, all the provision, all the blessing, all the the strength, everything we need. Peace in times of trouble, comfort in times of mourning. You've got it all for us. and We worship you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship one more time as a family.